Try Not to Blink, a podcast about the ups and downs, ins and outs, news, tips, and tricks of those who live the optometry lifestyle. We'd like to thank the amazing people at Valley Contacts who have made this podcast possible. Of course, they are makers of stellar gas permeable lenses and the oh-so-incredible custom stable scleral lens. In case you're wondering, my name is Dr. James Diem. I am on the East Coast, and I'm joined by Dr. Roya Habibi on the West Coast. Roya, what's up? Nothing, folks. Another episode. Cheers. Another week. Cheers, Cheers. to the next episode. I feel like it should be like Snoop Dogg. Next episode. episode. Ooh, yeah. The <laughs> chronic. Speaking of shout-outs, yeah. I think we got one. I love this. We are getting more and more shout-outs every week. A, a handful of uh, shout-outs to both you and myself. And every week it's growing. People you know, commenting on certain topics that they like to hear and uh, topics that they like that we have covered. And Dr. Amber Gaddy Dunn from Oregon on, on Yo Coast, West Coast, um, shouted out to us about the cannabis episode and uh, how much she enjoyed it and uh, that she had been traveling a little bit more lately and has been binge listening to all of our podcasts. So that's important. You know, we try to stay up on topics and, and uh, new current news and things like that. But feel free to go back and listen to all of the podcasts because you're going to gonna get some great uh, information there. So she's done that. Uh, so feel free. Give us a call five or yeah, five. I was about to give my office number 920-350-8622. She was calling to ask about the Dalsy adaptive device. And uh, of course, we sent along that information along with some sweet swag. Whoa. I don't know what to yeah. say about that. No one's going to respond now that you did that. No, I won't. <laughs> Say sweet swag again. I <laughs> if if you do call, but we do have some great stuff: shirts, bags, cups, some um, sweet mugs. Coasters. Not just mugs. I mean, these are like quality. They're legit. Thermo controlled, yeah. hot, cold mugs. It's like one step down from a Yeti. Basically, <laughs> it's a Valetti from Valley. Valley, our sponsors helped us with this. Valetti, thank you, right? Thank you, Valley. Thank yes. you, Valley. Yes. Well, awesome. Re- respect, but uh, some I news. This isn't really I news. It's kind of like conversation here. But... Hashtag I conversation. Right. I mean, don't need the hashtag, but fine. Um, <laughs> online glasses sales. I mean, we haven't really talked about this, and I feel like this is sort of a hot topic that's worth talking about. Yeah. So recently there was a study that came out saying that 60% of patients would like to purchase their contacts or spectacles from their smartphone. I mean, hmm. amen, if I could do everything on my smartphone, smartphone, I would. Your smoke phone? Is smoke that something you have up there When in, I realized uh, I could book a plane ticket from my smartphone, my life changed. And I feel yeah. like it's maybe it's the same with glasses or contacts. 80% hmm. of people would be also more likely to visit their doctor or seek treatment if they could know the exact out-of-pocket cost associated via their phone. But there is the lingering question of quality and safety when you get online prescription glasses. So there was a recent study that also found that nearly half of all glasses, so 44.8% of glasses ordered online, contained either inaccurate prescription or didn't meet safety standards to protect your eyes. That's kind of crazy, no? Uh, I think it's absolutely crazy. I mean, uh, you wouldn't go you wouldn't go to your cardiologist and get, you know, medicine that only worked 50% of the time. I mean, it's just it's crazy, you know. So I I I know it's it's a hard connection for people to make, but glasses and contacts to me are both fashion and you know style but medical devices and they have ramifications and so i'm not saying these things to spook people into buying glasses for me but i mean it, there's there's got to be some standardization and and when we're purchasing these things online there there isn't you don't True. have that well actually so we've been going through at my office a we're trying to get 
be kind of like you, more optically focused, trying to yes. utilize our opticians, trying to we're putting money into making our opticals better, but trying to figure out how to get patients to follow along. And one right. of the opticians said it really nicely when she is presented with a patient asking, why should I get it here? She says, if you want to get what the gla- what the, the prescription that your doctor prescribed, we can guarantee that we can give it to you here. Right. Yeah. If you want to get what your, you and your doctor, what she showed you through the for you got it. Like we can guarantee that it's going to happen here. Otherwise, and we stand behind it. Right. Exactly. Otherwise, you're going to go somewhere else, and we can't. It's hard. It's such a hard thing dealing with a. I hate, I hate my glasses, and then you it. find out I didn't get them here. Exactly. It's really frustrating. It is so frustrating because you just. I mean, and and you know, many times they're made correctly, but many times they're not. You know, it's just not the same care. It's not the same specificity and it's just out of your control and the bottom line is you do not know the measurements and the um the 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 formulas if you will that go into the prescription being placed in that lens from that lab from that place in that optician you don't have that information and so why are we so apprehensive when a patient says i would like my prescription to shop elsewhere to say that and and you know i have been very apprehensive about this and i because i try to you know keep this invisible line between retail the retail aspect of optometry and the medical aspect of optometry present you know i try to keep that line there to maintain the moral and ethical obligations that we have as healthcare providers. But I think I need to do a better job of, of communicating the fact. Yep. And the fact is I don't have control over this thing that I worked very hard on providing the best possible outcome when you leave this office with it. It's ultimately your decision, but that is the fact. And I need to be able to communicate that. Well, definitely. And, on top of that, I think I don't blame patients. Honestly, I have been, right. for instance, my husband's company, when his previous company he worked with, they were a startup. They had no health insurance and they definitely didn't have vision insurance. And so when they asked me, where do I get glasses? Can I get glasses? This is when I was in school and I had no control over helping them with these things. I would say go buy glasses online because I'd rather you get something than nothing or something than wear your contacts over and over every day. If you can get a cheap pair of glasses, it's better than nothing right now. Yeah. yeah. So there's one hand where it's like if you can get it cheaper, I mean, I go and look for even if I'm buying a sofa, I go look for a couple places I can find it cheaper. So right. I don't blame people to go look and find it, find why it's cheaper. But then also – People aren't worried oftentimes about spending money. Like, I'm not worried about spending. I want to find the best deal. But when I decide the quality of what I need it to be, I know what I'm going to spend. Does that make sense? I think people are, we're so scared to like tell people why. For instance, what I've started telling my patients is, for instance, you're a new progressive wearer. I will specifically say, if you're going to get this glasses and you want to actually like it, please don't go to Warby Parker. Please don't go take this because in, in Seattle we have two brick and mortar Warby that? Parkers. So you Absolutely. specifically I call them out. Why? Warby Parker has a big presence in Seattle because we have two brick and mortar Warby Parkers. The frames are cool. They're yeah. really modern. They're really chic. I mean, I literally will sometimes point at their face and be like, "Those are cool frames." And you know what? And they made that cool. They did a good job. They made it cool. It's not even just cool. They are on top of trends. They're doing a good job with it. Yeah. And they're clearly making good margins. They have their own frame line. But why do they have to be so expensive is the question. And so I think the real point and people who really are optically like who have great opticals, they will say patients aren't necessarily scared to spend more money. They just want the best deal on what they're looking for. They might take a picture of your frame in your office, your mm, Lacoste yeah. frame, and they'll go look and see if they can find it online for a little cheaper. Oh, yeah. and, and you if could do that. Did absolutely. you know you could do that? 
I do so that. Actually, in your lab, if you have the frame out there with a UPC tag on it, mm-hmm. they can immediately get like four or five. So it's actually, we actually had a consultant tell us that you actually shouldn't, like if, if you want to, you know, just let people look at the quality of the frame and the lenses, then, you know, avoiding putting the UPC. I mean, they just type it in and figure it out, but... I don't know. What do you think? Is that is I that mean, not the right thing to do? I mean, it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Who cares? So there was a pretty racy uh, article that just actually came out a couple days ago. Uh, well, not days. It was in, came out in January by the LA Times. This is the title. Why are glasses so expensive? The yeah. eyewear industry pr- prefers to keep that blurry. Mm-hmm. Okay. David Lazarus. It was a, a column piece. Okay. And essentially it's saying no one's trying to do anything to prevent this near monopolistic $100 billion industry from shamelessly abusing its market power. (laughs) It actually, they attempted to interview Vision Council, the Vision Council, and uh, the Vision Council basically started to talk to them and then backed out of the talk and said, hey, no, like we're, we don't want to be in this. We don't want to. We have no comment. And we're gonna prefer. Piece. We're gonna. We're gonna focus on health and fashion trend messaging. And it's kind of an interesting article. I'll kind of. I'll attach it for other people to look at. But he calls out Lanzotica and how Lanzotica and Essilor have just combined and merged. They even call out Warby Parker. Um, but essentially, it's saying like no one's really willing to talk about why it's so expensive. Or why this healthcare component makes it expensive and why everyone should just pay. Um, mm. But it, it claims that there's a thousand percent markup for most vision products. Why does it cost so much? Because the industry has been getting away with fleecing people for decades. Yikes. And you don't have to look hard to see that this won't change anytime soon. That's the, the last line of this. And I think, I mean, that sucks. That's a pretty harsh uh, piece, I'd say. But I don't know. I mean, are glasses overmarked? Like, are they too expensive? You think about how much money you spend. I mean, sometimes you literally lose money on these glasses. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. I think being full disclosure, telling people, if you want the quality of what I can give you, we can do it here. If you want to go look somewhere else, you're probably not going to get it. And I tell people, especially new progressive wares. If you're going to get something good, you're going to get it that's digitally made and yeah. perfectly fit for your eye. I think it's it's very similar to the pharmaceutical discussion, right? Like so many times patients come in, they're like, how is an eye drop $500? How is that possible? How is an eye drop $100? How is an eye drop $60? How is an eye drop $40? Well, you're right. That eye drop, that one singular eye drop probably costs three cents to make, if that even with the materials for the bottle. You're right. But it's all it's everything behind that. And it's that company wanting to be profitable, you know, and it's it's all those things and and you know all the things that goes into that. Now, for us in our office and you in your office, it's your office um, you know, paying the technology that went into making those lenses and the quality of the frames and you purchasing them to have them in your office and you paying for the lights to be on in your office and you paying for the staff in your office and the disability insurance and the workman's cop insurance and, you know, the liability insurance and the school that you went to to be able to prescribe those glasses because, you know, because it's it's something that could indicate health changes. So, you know, I think, yeah, you're right. Lenses and frames are like 15 cents. Yes, absolutely. I will be the first one to admit that the material is not gold, right? It's not some magical thing that has this inherent value. But there's a lot of hidden value to it. And I think the the value with buying it, you know, at a place like your office or my office versus online is that we stand behind it True. and we guarantee it and that you don't get online. So. Amen. Preach. Yeah, it's true though right i mean but you know and so that's you know i think i need to like i said initially take a more aggressive stance on the quality that we provide and the fact that we can stand behind it but oftentimes i don't want to go that way i want to go the way that i just went i want to say well 
I live down the road. I pay school taxes. I have children that are going to go to, you know, the school. I have, um, you know, I go to the church down the road. I, you know, support a million different community events down here. And would do you want do you rather support our business here that has, you know, 20 employees in each office or go, you know, support some company that's based out of China. No offense to China, of course, but, you know, but just, you know, I, I want to say that. <laughs> that's what I want to say. You know, you're not making me rich. You're supporting this company in this community. What about that? I mean, that's like a sob story. If <laughs> That's what I want to say. <laughs> I, I see what you're saying, but I think I think it's not about being aggressive and it's not about being passive aggressive like that is. I think it's more about literally just flat out educating the patient. You can get your stuff online. If you want to just have a backup pair of glasses that you're going to wear one tw- 20 minutes a day, do whatever you got to do. But if you want something you're actually going to enjoy wearing that you're going to feel you see well out of and give your eyes a good break and be happy with... You- you're probably not going to want to do that. If you want to see as well as I can show you, you can see. When you're looking through a ferropter, is it not a glass lens that you're looking through? It is. I mean, optically, the best you can see. Right. So it's just like there's so little that can compare to that. But anyways, that's Mm. my two cents. Obviously, Mm. times have fully changed. It's not even changing. Times have changed. People buy stuff online a lot. Yeah. And I think our job is really to educate because I have a lot of patients that come in that decided to go get things from Morby Parker, and I've started to realize I need to warn them ahead of time. It's one thing if they're getting a single vision prescription. It's another thing if they have any interest and in any newer innovations. Anti fatigue lenses. Do you come back with with uh, issues with Warby stuff? They've started pr- allowing progressive designs, and usually they don't actually come back directly. They'll just say next year, "Oh, that didn't work for me. I switched back to a single vision lens." Hmm. So I've tried to curb that. Yeah. If I'm going to s- prescribe any new ad, I always, always tell them, you know, I would recommend this sort of anti- this sort that. of progressive design. This is what you should expect. Here's what you could do. If you if you get something, an older design, this is what it's going to be like. Yeah. So anyways. Speaking of older designs... We, I, I, I really, you know, I had somebody talking to me about antibiotics lately and, you know, antibiotics are something that we fought long and hard to be able to have the ability to be able to prescribe in eye care. Lots of red eyes that we deal with, right? Sure. And, uh, you know, so, so I wanted to take a little magical mystery tour through the world of some some basic systemic antibiotics and some basic uh, topical antibiotics and some maybe more advanced ones and what makes them unique. So um, I have to thank in particular KMK for uh, allowing me to review uh, the classifications of antibiotics, uh, their mechanism of action, and some helpful uh, things to remember in reference to adverse events and systemic side effects that we should all be aware of. So we're going to start with the category of cell wall synthesis blockers. Is, cool. is that something you ever think of like in a day? Like I'm going to prescribe something that blocks the synthesis of cell walls. Luckily not. <laughs> no. Do you ever prescribe? No, I just think about things that are going to block our Southern wall. Oh, we'll that a girl? We'll go there. You've never said anything political before, I but I love it. I know. I hate it. Tonight, oh, not to I like disclose it. any secrets, but tonight oh. is the State of the Union address. Yes, it was. It Did was. you watch any of it? No, I was just too busy talking to you. I just got an update <laughs> on my phone, and it said, Trump chooses greatness. The president focused on immigration, the economy, and other priorities in his State of the Union, and we're fact-checking his claims you can guess what um app that came from you're, anyway. you're reading the huffington post aren't you <laughs> so <laughs> anywho so i'm 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 an optocrat not a republican or democrat i'm Good an job. optocrat so. anyways cell wall cell synthesis walls. blockers not the southern <laughs> border wall uh, which you know anyway so um 
Basitracin, penicillin, and cephalosporins are cell wall synthesis blockers. They prevent bacterial cell wall synthesis by inhibiting the transfer of peptidoglycan in the growing cell wall. So one of the more basic um, type of uh, antibiotics that we can use. They're really effective against gram-positive bacteria, and really they're only available in ointment form, often prescribed for blepharitis and hordeola. Is this something you ever prescribe, any of these guys? Basitracin, penicillin, cephalosporins. Do you ever prescribe those? Yes. I said, I prescribe uh, uh, polymyxin B, or so polysporin, okay. occasionally. Mm-hmm. Which is and, a mixture of polymyxin B and mm-hmm. ba- basitracin. Why are you calling so, it basitracin? What do you call it? Basitracin. Because it's basic, yo. <laughs> basic has an S. Because it's basic. Basitracin. Basic that's, tracin. That's how I would say it. Basitracin. Broad spectrum topical ophthalmic antibiotic ointment that combines the gram positive coverage of bacitracin and the gram negative coverage of polymyxin b so you know as i was reading through this i'm like yeah that's right it's actually like good to remember this stuff it's an old medication i really like uh polysporin so it's old medication it comes in a drop form it also like i said or like you just said a broad spectrum coverage so positive and negative coverage and uh cheap it's really cheap yeah. So and neosporin is like the Russian doll of antibiotics. It's got like all these things folded into it. Like it's yeah. it's got neomycin and then it's got polysporin, which is actually polymyxin B and, and bacitracin. Um <laughs> side note, there's a new Netflix show called Russian Doll. Did yep, you see that? I already watched it. On my did you watch day. it? What did you think about it? It was it was interesting. How many episodes did you watch? The whole thing? I'm not going to disclose how quickly you I watched the whole thing, thing. <laughs> yesterday because you had a snow day. That's fine. You had a snow day. That's fine. Um, I'm only on episode like two or three. Does That's it keep doing the same thing over and over? I'm not going to tell you. Oh, man. All right. So we talked about basitracin, um, and everybody now knows what polysporin is, and we know that Roya sometimes prescribes it. I don't think I've ever prescribed it. I know for um, like a basic pink eye that i just i've started to be a little bit more i basically been more aggressive on a lot of pink eyes wanting to quell the infection and the inflammation so yes unlike most i've started to prescribe a lot more of the combos just about for any pink eye why not just give them a little a little help but anyways i stopped doing that as much I feel like it's something you do as you get a little more comfortable in practice. I yep. think you start to do a little bit more anti-inflammatory. Tobradex, i.e. Yeah. fixes everything. O xylit or xylit. O is my Spanish for the day. Okay. Um, anyway, penicillins. Penicillins. We got amoxicillin and dicloxicillin. I totally forgot about dicloxicillin. Is that is that really still a thing? Have you ever prescribed that? Never. Me neither. It inhibits transpeptidase. It's got good grand positive coverage. Um, amoxicillin is not, if you care, uh, resistant to penicillin aces. Uh, so a penicillin ace uh, essentially eats through penicillins. So amoxicillin, a lot of people um, have resistance built up to it. So that's where augmentin comes in. So augmentin is clavulonic acid attached to amoxicillin, which inhibits penicillin ACEs. And and that's a little bit more of an effective antibiotic. So most people, when they prescribe amoxicillin, will actually prescribe augmentin, which is amoxicillin with clavulonic acid. Did you know that? I did. I'm sure you did. I did. It's a stronger version. I typically don't prescribe it very often unless somebody has a reason that they can't take some of the other medications. Okay. Just saving it for bigger bigger infections. Interestingly, dicloxacillin is resistant to penicillin A, so it doesn't need clavulonic acid. And um, that that's actually a good medicine for uh, methicillin-sensitive staph infections, especially staph aureus. Um, however, it is not effective against MRSA. Um, these are the things you hear penicillin, right? You ask about, uh, in fact, um, allergic reactions. Are you allergic to anything? Penicillin. 
everybody's allergic to penicillin, right? It's a very common one um, and, and uh, often resulting in, you know, itchy hives and um, potentially even anaphylaxis. My wife apparently is allergic to all these medicines, so that's something I, I need to know. Um, it also, is worth Steven, noting, though, that yeah. most penicillin allergies, kind of like you were alluding to, actually aren't true allergies. Not real allergies. Um, approximately 1%, it says, risk patient... Well, let me see. How did you write that? If a patient's allergic to penicillin, <laughs> then there's approximately 1% risk that the patient will also be... Oh, sorry. I read that wrong. Penicillin <laughs> allergies... Oh, Time out. Time oh, out. Oh, Let's oh, start oh. over. Start that again. Yeah. When people claim to have a penicillin allergy, you really need to investigate why. Are they just getting a rash or is there a true res- uh, allergy? So asking the patient their true reaction, because researchers estimate that 90% of the people who claim to be allergic aren't um, actually allergic. Okay. So that's important too. asking patients, not only are you allergic, but what's your reaction? Right. Yeah. Next, cephalosporin. So we, we've talked about uh, cell wall synthesis blockers being ba- basotracin, penicillin, cephalosporin. So cephalosporin is one I prescribe a lot of, Keflex uh, and ceftriaxone, which is rocephin. Uh, they've got good gram-positive coverage. Um, uh, the third and fourth generations are better for positive and negative as compared to the the, the um, first and second generation. So we have Keflex, first generation, good for skin, soft tissue infections. And at PCO, we learned that they were good um, for uh, preceptal cellulitis and hordeola. So when I have a hordeola, I almost always prescribe Keflex. Do you? I'm going to hold my secret okay. for a couple that's, minutes. That's usually what I prescribe. I, that I used almost... to actually be my go-to. Keflex, it did always it always. did i think um, they were, we were taught it as part of boards or something that may be but we have no and and just as a uh, we have no knowledge of boards questions <laughs> right <laughs> we'll, have yeah. the, we'll have the boards police knocking at our door. yeah no 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 uh, but no. i think as prep for especially part two i think that's when i learned that keflex is what you treat for any sort of uh, preceptal or yeah. it does um it also in general cephalexin or keflex is considered safe during pregnancy so that's a good choice and yeah. no one knows what to do when someone's pregnant or has oh an my issue God. i actually Just... had a patient who was pregnant and her baby shower where she had all of these people flying into it was her first baby um, she had a huge, huge, like, preceptal, like, uh, inflammation. And I was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. Yeah. This is a terrible time for this. And she needed it gone now. I was like, of oh, course. sorry. But anyway, I'm going to, I'll let you talk for a minute, and I'll tell you what my go-to is now. All right. Well, the other one is rocephin. And I think we all kind of know about rocephin as, like, that other cephalosporin that gets used for, you know, um... Uh, sexually transmitted diseases, basically. So it's used for a variety of infections, but most notably um, gonorrhea, and that's administered intramuscularly. It can also be used as an IV medicine in the treatment of um, gonococcal conjunctivitis and even orbital cellulitis. Um, Adverse reactions, obviously hypersensitivity. This is an interesting one. May also destroy the normal intestinal microflora, which alters the absorption of vitamin K, which may result in excessive thinning of the blood in patients on warfarin because warfarin is a vitamin K agonist. So just important to, to know if you have a patient who's on warfarin or blood thinner, they probably should heed a uh, warning when using cephalosporins like Keflex or uh, Rocephin. Yeah. Another another treatment, instead one. of going for the Rocephin option, honestly, ceftriaxone or even azithromycin yes. are great choices for gonorrhea. I've never seen one. Have you? I've seen a, yeah, a conjunctivitis. Okay. You know. Yeah, no, no. You know right Was away. it mucopurulent? Ooh, like they, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. kept on bubbling you're like bro you i had a the, actually it's pretty great i had a um i had a 17 year old patient she was from guam the super random came in paying self-pay and then like three days later i had a 17 year old male come in from no. guam no. <laughs> yeah i was like you guys need to you need to be safe 
don't know what you're doing, but tone it down. I know they said it worked, so I, I clearly I did the right. What worked? <laughs> the first medication, <laughs> so oh, he okay. needed some of that too. Yikes! <laughs> yeah, something worked. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, let's next. hear. It. What's your go-to for? Uh, I'm not there yet. Keep. Oh, going. you're not there yet. Okay, protein synthesis inhibitors. So we had the cell wall blockers that we were just chatting about, and now we got the protein synthesis inhibitors. So first, we have the aminoglycosides, genomycin and tobramycin. Of course, tobramycin used in a lot of combos out there. Tobradex course. Um, so what do they do? They bind the 30S subunit, if you remember this, of bacterial ribosomes to inhibit bacterial protein synthesis. They're effective against gram-positive and negative um, bacteria. So, um, of course, you know, we're, we're familiar with this mechanism of action as it relates to fluoroquinolones. Before we had fluoroquinolones, um, pretty much tobramycin, gentamicin were the go-tos. Um, some things to look out for for these aminoglycosides. They're, they're notorious for kind of beating up the ocular surface, causing keratitis, and even delaying corneal reepithelialization. So, you know, you got a, a beat up cornea and you're worried about coverage for a secondary infection, you may think twice about using good old uh, tobramycin. So, anyway, that's what I have to say about that. Yep, I like tetracyclines. It. Tetracyclines inhibit bacterial protein synthesis by binding the 30S ribosomal subunit as well, but they do something a little different. They, um, uh, but they, but they also inhibit uh, protein synthesis. So doxycycline is the most commonly prescribed one that we're probably familiar with here, but it includes tetracycline, doxycycline, and minocycline. Um, it's often used for meibomian gland dysfunction, rosacea, um, and and um, you know sev- several other conditions. We know that this is something that helps um, inhibit MMP9s and can also be used in uh, recurrent corneal erosion. So, pretty- why don't you talk a second about why is doxycycline good for MMP9? I think sometimes even patients don't understand why am I getting an antibiotic for that. I know we're talking about antibiotics, but yeah. Usually, what I say to patients is this: I'm going to prescribe this medicine to you, and the reason I'm prescribing it to you is because it, at low doses and at certain doses concentrations, it acts as an anti-inflammatory as well as an anti bacterial and it's more the anti-inflammatory that i'm concerned that i i really want to to help and so um i i just briefly mentioned that you know there's this one in particular mmp9s and it works by inhibiting that can you shed any more light on that or is that pretty much what you what you um, said too so i'm trying to get a s- specific rundown here like a mechanism but... of action right <laughs> yeah yeah and I'm getting you caught there. me off guard <laughs> uh, with that one. I, yeah, thought, I so. thought you had it. I thought you. I thought you were queued up and like oh, I was like, darn, no. slow pitching for you there. Well, the the absorption of tetracyclines in the GI tract uh, can be impaired by interestingly cations in dairy products and in acids um, and iron containing compounds. So the primary route of excretion is through the kidney. So if if people uh, who are take if if you have somebody who has renal function issues, uh, since that's the primary route of excretion, um, that can be a real problem uh, for for patients. So you want to know if they have any kidney function issues uh, before taking tetracycline or minocycline. Interestingly, doxy is uh, not something that is excreted through the kidney. It is eliminated in fecal manner and therefore is is safely prescribed in renal failure patients. So um, not something we should use in pregnancy. Uh, it's been noted to cause uh, pseudo t- pseudotumor cerebri, bone growth issues, discoloring of the teeth. And interestingly, I think we all know this. This was like another one of those things you try to remember for boards, even though I don't know what was on boards. <laughs> um, <laughs> minocycline can cause blue sclera and pigmented cysts on the conge, right? You're like, yes. minocycline, blue sclera. That's all I knew about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't know why. Yeah. Well, actually, Doxy is my go-to nowadays, my new go-to medication for treating hordeolums, preceptal cellulitis, dacryocystitis. 
Okay. Um, my uh, oculoplastic surgeon that I work with, he okay. actually gave me that tip. And at first I was like, what? I studied for yeah. boards. What do you mean? Yeah. But What then, do you mean? What do you mean? Right. Um, but no, then I looked into it. Doxycycline is actually um, can treat MRSA. So it's effective against MRSA. Huh. And in regards to very common, or I guess very common is probably a stretch, but common sources of the infection when it comes to a hordeoloma preceptal tends to be staph-related and could very well right. be a staph-resistant uh, strain. What, so, What do you dose it at? I dose it at 100 milligrams BID 100 for, for, how long? for one week. One week, okay, cool. I haven't had a patient come back with an issue or it not working. I think one time someone else had treated them that way, and I ended up prescri- prescribing Augmentin. Well, it's just the only time I've ever used that for a preceptal. Hmm. But all the, otherwise, Doxy always works well. It's generally well tolerated, unless, of course, a patient's pregnant or if it's a kid. Um, although I would still, I treated a patient recently who was 12 with doxycycline per their uh, approval by their pediatrician. He said, I don't know why it would matter. Now, let me ask you this. Do you have any feeling on doxycycline monohydrate, hyclate, you know, you, any feeling on that? Or You know, I really feel like I should be, I should know this. What I do know is I prescribed it for Patrick, my husband, when we were going to Vietnam. Oh, good. And on, okay. the, the doxycycline hyclate that's what I presented. Prescri- yeah, <laughs> I sent the prescription for that, and it was way more expensive. It's expensive. It's more yeah. expensive. Now I've like, actually damn. been told that that's better absorbed. Sure. I don't know if that's. I don't have any data to support that, but I had a you know a, um, a colleague and mentor of mine say to me that that is a better met. Like that's the one I usually try to prescribe because of that. Now I don't. I never went and did the research on that, so I probably should. But I just I was wondering if you had any. My my preset says uh, the Hila one, and yeah. but I allow for I allow Whatever. for substitutions if patients yeah. don't want to spend money on it. Sure. Anyways, that's my tip. Chloramphenicol. Basically, a dead medication in the U.S. Totally though. dead. Yeah, no one uses that. No one's got time for that. Macrolides. <laughs> Erythromycin, azithromycin, um, other myosins, they inhibit bacterial protein synthesis, oral azithromycin pres- prescribed for chlamydial infections. I think we all know that, the the, the famous single one gram dose. I've, I've had some chlamydial um, conjunctivities. They're not quite as um, obvious as what I would imagine a gonorrheal conjunctivitis, but they just got these huge papillae and just just really something's going on here right so (laughs) i prescribed it and um it's worked in those patients um do you ever use um azacite topical azithromycin you know with duracite molecule i tried to temp a couple times but honestly I know I'm stealing your thunder here, but it contains BAK, and yeah. most of the time people have, instead of needing azocyte for their blepharitis, they just need better lid hygiene. Like, yeah. That's usually what they need. Yeah. So that's what I find. I feel like it's kind of just an expensive medication to do something that you could treat more effectively, less messy and goopy. I've had no success with it. Yeah. None. Pain. What about erythromycin? Do you ever use erythromycin for? I feel like it's like putting water on the eye. Like, <laughs> I use is, it does on. Does it do anything? I use it on any sort of uh, corneal, like an abrasion. Do I you? feel like it's a it's a basic, easy thing to it's use. Like Go to protective. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Inhibitors of folate synthesis. This is exciting because this is. Um, Kind of getting into our fluoroquinolones, but before we get into fluoroquinolones, we have our sulfonamide. So sulfacetamide, sulfamexazole, sulfadiazine. They're, of course, very common in ERs and urgent cares, and I think you know they're really sort of the drug of choice for many older docs out there. Um, you have some, some more senior docs in your practice. Do you see them prescribing any sulfa-type meds for things? Honestly, not really. I think luckily no. most of my docs have... 
hopped on either the ciprofloxacin train, ofloxacin yeah. train, <laughs> or yeah. something of that nature. Right. Yeah. And I think pretty much, you know, in general eye care, you don't see too much uh, sulfas being prescribed. I think, generally speaking, there's a decent number of sulfa allergies, so most people right. kind of steer away from Stay there. Stay away from it. Mm-hmm. So the fluoroquinolones, those are, you know, sort of the heavy hitters, more regularly prescribed, and probably what you guys are grabbing in your um, uh, offices for most of your patients. So we have our second generations, which is Cipro and Ofloxacin, third generation, which is Levofloxacin, and our fourth generation, which is probably what you're all familiar with, some of the more um, well-known branded medications, gadifloxacin or Zymaxid, uh, moxi, Moxiza or Moxifloxacin, and then Besavanch, which is Bessifloxacin. Of course, they rapidly inhibit bacterial DNA synthesis by inhibiting DNA gyrase and topoisomerase 4. Um, systemic Cipro is often used for urinary tract infections, GI infections, uh, moxifloxacin orally is approved for the treatment of pneumonia and sinusitis as well as skin infections. Um, adverse uh, uh, effects of that would be tendinitis. What else do you have? As side effects? Yeah. I think those are the big ones. Um, they're those contraindicated. Did you already say pregnancy? No, I didn't say yeah. that. Yeah, so patients should not take them if they are pregnant, breastfeeding, or technically in children younger than 18 years old due to uh, the arthropathy. Oh. <laughs> I can't say that. Arthropathy. Arthropathy. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, whatever that means. <laughs> I was just kidding. I like it. <laughs> and there has been a lot of documented signs of, what is it, the um, tendon rupture, right? Is it the... Um, elbow and Achilles tendon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This tendonitis, it's a big deal. And, you know, I feel like I'll have patients sometimes, you know, say, you know, if maybe they're on a prescription from their family doctor or something, you know, from a urinary tract infection or something. Oh, it's, you know, I'm achy, you know, now because of that. So I think it's just kind of good to remind, remind yourself of these things, even if you're not prescribing them, just to be aware of why some patients may be having difficulty with certain things. So, you know, if, if I'm going to be grabbing a uh, branded um, antibiotic, it's almost always going to be Besifloxacin or Besavance. Um, there's some really good research on it. So I don't know if you're familiar with the Armour study. No, uh, tell me. Yeah, so the Armour study is um, a study that is uh, looking at antibiotic resistance, um, and it actually found that Besafloxacin, um, the active molecule in Besavance, demonstrated in vitro inhibitory activity against common resistant ocular bacterial pathogens. So, you know, what do you need this heavy hitter for everything? No, probably not. You can probably hit most of what you need to hit with ofloxacin or ciprofloxacin. And therefore, you know, most cataract surgeons out there still are prescribing ciprofloxacin and ofloxacin after cataract surgery to pretty much cover themselves for for most uh, common ocular flora. Um, But if you're concerned about, you know, some of the more common resistant ocular bacterial pathogens, the Armour study um, looked at this. And so it measured what's called the minimum inhibitory concentration. And what that is, it's the it's the concentration that inhibits the growth of 90% of the isolate. So if you go back to your um, microbiology days, um, you can you know, we have a little chart here. Uh, you could look up, and we could we could place on on the site. And basically, what it what it compares it compares Besavance, Moxie, Cipro, Gaddy, um, Trimethoprin, uh, Tobramycin, Azithromycin, and Polymyxin B. And it looks at common staph, methicillin sensitive, methicillin resistant, um, and and some other uh, resistant strains. And you could just see that bestifloxacin requires much less. So the minimum inhibitory concentration is lower. So it only you only need a dab of it to kill these um these these components so pretty interesting best advance is also formulated with duracite technology which we we know is in lots of other things it's in azocyte it is in 
um, bromcite, and it allows for the medication to remain on the ocular surface to fight bacterial pathogens. It allows for flexible dosing, which is nice. Um, and so we also have a, a study that was done that um, showed that um, the concentration of bacifloxacin in the tear concentration, um, how it how it stayed stable over even a 12-hour period as compared to some other um, uh, common antibiotics and how that concentration helps kill, you know, some of those, again, resistant bugs. So, you know, for me, um, you know, knowing that data was kind of, uh, helpful and, you know, helping me make sure that, you know, if I have something I'm concerned about, you know, a, a sort of a spooky looking, um, uh, ulcer or infection near the visual axis. Um, you know, I, I know several corneal specialists that grab for Besavance as opposed to fortified antibiotics. So I'm not sure, you know, where you're at with that or if that's something you do, uh, if you guys do fortified antibiotics or, or what, sure. but, yep. um, just a, so it's a good thing to know, you know, you, you could, you could feel safe with, with Besavance in reference to some of the more resistant bugs out there. I like it. Yeah. So, what else? I mean, we're we're about ready to wrap up here. Um, what do you got? Anything else for me? I guess a, one other thing today. Actually, I learned about this. Uh, we had a rep come in. Uh, well, actually, she just stopped through, but it was through Imprism RX, a compounding. Imprimis. Yeah. Yes, I think Imprism right. is better, so I'm gonna call it that. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, Imprimis RX. Yes. Um, pretty cool, actually. So um, we'll link their website online so you guys can check it out. But I'm actually kind of excited about it as an option for patients. One thing that we were talking a little bit about is the Clarity C drops, which is actually their cyclosporin 0.1% with – they combine it with a um, chondroitin sulfate. That's interesting. Sulfate, which um, – it actually is a so looking this up some different of the some of the different hyaluronic acid eye drops yeah. utilize chondroitin sulfate. It's actually a super old. Uh, it's a glucosamide. I but feel like tons of old people take that for like their joints. It is a joint thing, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it's an eye drop. It's basically a, a, a nice little eye drop that they combine it with. So kind of like the Endura for Restasis formulation. But anyway, kind of a nice option. You have to go through their lab only, but for a three-month supply, it's $150 cash pay only. So for for patients that money is truly uh, an objection for them to getting some of the brand options, this is a great option for for them as as opposed to maybe ordering from Mexico, (laughs) like some of Mm. my patients do. They also have a couple other preservative-free eye drops that they compound, kind of interesting. They have a Tim Lat, which is Timolol Atanaprost, a Dor Tim, which is a Dorzolamide Timolol, uh, Brimdor, which is Brimonidine Dorzolamide. They can do a lot of interesting combos just because they are a compounding lab. Brimdor sounds like a Harry Potter. I know, something. right? Griffin they also Dor. have a cool one that they uh, they make. It's a Predgatti, which is a prednisolone acetate with gadifloxacin. It was pretty interesting. Nice. Nothing that we have available. Uh, generally speaking. So, so yeah, check it yeah. out if you're interested in another option for your patients. A lot of this, if, if your state allows, you could have it in office for particular, I don't know, treatments that you want to be able to provide. Um, anyone who's working in a uh, MDOD office, for instance, a post-cataract treatment or whatever. Um, but, yeah. And lastly, let's talk about a cell pod of the day. So a cell pod that I'd like to share with everyone is don't be afraid to try a multifocal scleral lens. Yes. So just like soft lenses, it always kind of hurts my heart a bit, even in soft lenses, when people come in and they're just shocked to hear that there's a multifocal or uh, a progressive-ish co- uh, contact lens option in general. Right. But, um, but yeah, a scleral lens not only provides the best optics – but to have the idea or the option for patients to have a multifocal built into their scleral lens 
is pretty awesome. So I love it. setting expectation is important need to do, of course, because you're not going to this is not your silver bullet, but um, it's an awesome option. I actually is super cool. I mean, now when you're out practicing long enough, things like this start to happen. But I've been in Seattle now for three and a half years. And previous to Seattle, I was working during my fellowship for one year in Portland. And there I just did whatever I wanted. Didn't have to worry about billing as much. You know, when you're still in school, you don't have to worry about what things cost to you. Right. (laughs) Right. So I fit a decent number of people and multifocals there. And then I got to just leave and not have to deal with the repercussions (laughs) of it. (laughs) Right. And I had a patient actually seek me out because Seattle is only about three hours from Portland. She she found me, found where I'm practicing and wants to come up to see me so I can help her with her scleral lenses. And actually, she just had some questions. She just trusts me and she wanted me to give her opinions on cataract surgery. She's post RK. Anyway, it was it was a really like like all I did was fit her in a multifocal scleral because I wanted to learn how to do it. And now she finds me to be a trustworthy person. So not to say that I'm not worthy of that, but it's pretty cool. But big take home of this is try out the multifocals because you'd be really impressed. Yeah. With Valley Contacts there, Aurora is an awesome design. Um, So it's definitely worth trying out. They have both a near center and a near distance lens and you can change the amount of progressive. They can also adjust uh, OZ sizes and all that fun stuff. So you can really make it work for your patient if they're motivated. And I also like to tell my patients, actually one of my surgeons, my cataract surgeons, he's, a uh, young doc, he's 52-ish, I would say. He um, has to be fit and scleral so he could experience Get them. Get out. And he wears cool. a set of progressives that he loves. Oh, cool. So they'll switch between those, his dailies. And he, I also got him some toric lenses as well, which he loves. Just so for fun. T- depending on what he wants to see, he'll wear one of one of his variable lenses. Oh, that's but, cool. Yeah, it's great. The optics are great. And so it's just, just like any soft lens. You just have to know what you're getting yourself into and understand the, the fitting guide. So yeah, ask your, ask your rep, ask your consultants as you're working through it, but definitely don't be scared to try. Huh. Well, thank you for the cell pod. Cell pod of the day. Don't be afraid Woo. of multifocal. Check Love out it. the Aurora. Well, that about does it before we go. Of course, we'd like to say thanks to our sponsors, Valley contacts, of course, for their amazing lenses and the great people they are to work with. Feel free to reach out if you want to give us feedbacks, if you have questions, or just want to say hi. Check us out at both Try Not to Blink Show on Instagram, our Facebook, or even shoot us a text. Our digits are 920-350-8622. And finally, be sure to tune in and listen to our next episodes. Until then, try not to blink.